0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: Letter
2: 14, page 236. It's a very uh, unique letter. Here the Alter Rebbe discusses very strongly uh, the special love for the Holy Land and a Jew's attachment to the Holy Land and what's so unique and special today about the Holy Land. Most of the letters, most of the 32 letters, was a fundraising letter to support the Jewish community in Israel. At that particular time, it was a very small Jewish presence, tiny Jewish presence in Israel. And the first Aliyah, this was 100 years before theater Herzl, so the first Aliyah was actually a group of Hasidim led by the mentor of the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Mendel of Vitebs, and his colleague, Rabbi Abram of Kalis. They led a group from Eastern Europe and they moved to Israel. Israel then, there was no means of support, there was no means of earning a living, and they relied on the generosity of the community back home, the Jews in Eastern Europe, where they themselves were impoverished, and uh, the Alter Rebbe set up Kollel Chabad, which Alter Rebbe took upon himself the responsibility to financially and physically support the community by fundraising. Every family, every Hasidic family, had a quota, had a certain obligation that they were obligated to participate, and Alter Rebbe writes this letter wrote many letters encouraging the Hasidim to give tzedakah, to give even more tzedakah. This letter in particular was written after the son of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Levitebz passed away. There was a special stipend that the Hasidim had for the son of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Levitebz, who was the leader of this group. Now that he passed away, the Hasidim felt that now we can... Decrease our monies that we're sending to the Holy Land, which has involved great difficulty. They didn't have the funds in the first place, and and getting the funds there. So they thought that perhaps now that he passed away, there's no need anymore. So now we can diminish the funds because then they no longer needed to support this particular individual. The Rebbe is writing this letter that, God forbid, not only shouldn't they minimize the funds and diminish the amount that they sent till this point, they should actually increase it. And it will be put to other uses. Yes, he passed away, but it will be put to other uses. And we we know all of this because of the full letter that's not printed here. It's not incorporated in the Holy Letters which only incorporated... The body of the letter, but the details and the the specifics, that was really cut out of most of these letters. But we have the end of this letter. Dr. Rebbe describes how the the money that they were sending them right now was merely just enough to cover the basic necessities. God forbid, if someone was ill, if you needed Bikr Cholim or you needed to help someone, then they they had to scramble if there was any extraordinary circumstance they needed extra funds there wasn't any extra funds there was no cushion there was no so these extra funds that they will be sending will be put to good use will be put to use to help them in this fund to help those who are sick so the Rebbe writes this letter and he starts out this letter that because he sends that there was in general there was a lack of enthusiasm when they started the fund the Rebi started the fund when the Hasidim first moved it was an enthusiasm, it was fresh, it was exciting, it was interesting, it was brand new. So they were eager, and the generosity, the funds matched their eagerness, their excitement. But now it became already routine, the same story day in, day out, year in, year out. So it lost some of its, the Hasidim were losing some of their enthusiasm for this project, for the tzedakah, particular tzedakah. Of writing money and giving money to Eretz Yisrael. When they had so many needs at home. So many needs, unmet needs right here at home. So Al Rebbe writes this letter explaining to his Hasidim. How special Eretz Yisrael is. The land of Israel. And how special it is to support the Jews who are living in Israel. Because there's no place like Israel... And that's the purpose of this letter, and that's what he's going to explain, what's unique and what's special about Israel today, when there is no temple, and we're in exile. And yet, there's something very, very special, special energy. It's associated with the Holy Land, and anyone who's connected to the Holy Land draws from this energy by connecting and associating and supporting and giving tzedakah to the Holy Land. This is the backdrop to help understand the letter. Salat begins, page 236.
1: This letter is written to arouse the old love and fondness for the holy
2: So he calls it, it's an old love. You know, it's a... The love has grown dim, has lost its power.
0: It's
2: lust. Lost its luster. Lost its ability to excite So the purpose of the letter is to arouse the old love and to arouse once again the special fondness to the Holy
1: Land. So that it burns like fiery flames from the inwardness of man and from the depths of his heart. This very day, Hashem has set His Spirit upon us, a spirit of generosity, so that the people volunteer to consecrate themselves to Hashem with a full and generous hand, with one increase after another from year to year.
2: So he's saying when a new year comes by it's not a time to diminish the commitment it's a time to increase. So it's not only qualitatively wise he's looking for more enthusiasm a fiery love a, a renewed fondness but that renewed fondness and that fiery love should translate into an increase to up up the ante to raise the amount to do even more tzedakah not find reasons to give less tzedakah but to find reasons to give
1: even more continually rising and excelling themselves in keeping with the measure of the level of divinity called Kodesh Haleon
2: there is the word Kodesh which is holy but there is Kodesh with out of of just three letters Kuf Dalajin, which is the root of the word holiness a so holiness itself then there's Kadoish with vav. we say Kadoish, Kadoish, Kadoish Hashem, Hashem is holy with vav. and then there's Kedusha holiness the difference between them is Kadoish, is the root of the word it's holiness the essence of holiness what does this refer to? So the essence of holiness refers to the level of Chachm, the highest level. Chachma is holy. Its whole being is holy. Its essence is holy. Because Chachmah is, as the Rebbe said in chapter 35, in the first part of the Tanya, quoting his teacher, Rabbi Dov Ber, the maggid of Mizritch, that Chachma is the sense that there is no other reality but God. Chachma is the feeling and the sense of the truth that there is no ego. Chachma is egolessness. It's the window to the soul, it's the window to Hashem. Chachma is what senses Kodesh, the reality of Kodesh, of holiness. Continue. Chachma is wisdom. Wisdom, right. so wisdom is wisdom. There's wisdom, there's smart, there's intelligence, but there's, it's three different parts of the brain. There, there's the right side of the brain, the left side of the brain, there's the creative mind, and there's the analytical mind, and there's the, uh, the limbic mind. The... So, Chachma is the first, it's the spark, the spark of awareness, the beginning. So that's connected to holiness, as a noun, as, an, as the essence of holiness
0: which radiates to the Holy Land and is constantly renewed
3: and increased.
2: This level of holiness radiates to the Holy Land. This is what you sense in the Holy Land. That's why it's the Holy Land. Why is Eretz Yisrael the Holy Land? Because of the level of the divine wisdom that radiates to the Holy Land. It shines and radiates to the Holy Land. So this is a land that absorbs and receives from the level of Chachma, the level of wisdom, the level of holiness. That's why it's a holy land. That's why it's the only holy land. No one calls London holy. No one calls Paris holy. No one calls Washington holy. Not even New York. Not Moscow. Not Rome. There's one place in the world that's holy.
3: Not Beijing.
2: Not Beijing. There's one place in the world that's called holy. That's the holy land because Israel is a place Eretz Yisrael as the non-Jews themselves call it Israel acknowledging it whether they know it or not they realize it or not they're acknowledging that it belongs to the nation of Israel to the people of Israel to the children of Israel who are exclusively Jewish 100% it's not called Abraham it's not called Isaac it's called Israel so this land is holy the land itself is holy which is why all the nations in the world have such a problem with Israel because they can't wrap their mind around the idea that land is holy why is this land different than all the lands but this is the essence of the Jew that the land itself is holy it's a land like no other land the Jewish people are a nation like no other nation God's chosen people we have a holy Torah. And we have holy values. And the holiest value of all is the holiness of life, the sanctity of life. But what makes the land holy? Because it's a, it's, it's a vessel to receive and to absorb the level of Kodesh. Which is the level of Chachma. Which radiates in the Holy Land. And is constantly renewed. Constantly new. Fresh. It's not same old, same old. It's constantly new, renewed. It's vibrant. It's dynamic. It's constantly renewed. It never grows old. And it increases. Quantitative light increases. The light increases. Not only is it ancient, but it's a dynamic energy. It's a new energy. It's a fresh energy. Every moment is constantly renewed. And the light and the holiness increases, constantly increases. When does this happen?
0: As it is written, Forever are the eyes of the Lord your God upon it, upon the land of Israel, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year.
2: This verse refers to, it's in Parsha's Akiv, third Parsha of the book of Deuteronomy, And Moshe is discussing, describing the land of Israel, the holy land of Israel. And he says, it's a land where God God is constantly, the eyes of God are constantly focused on Israel. This is the only country in the world, the only piece of real estate, the only land in the world where it says that God's eyes are constantly focused on it, on the land of Israel. And then he says... From the beginning of the year to the end of the year. So Dr. Rebbe is going to ask in a moment the obvious question that you all have just reading the verse, it makes no sense. What does the verse say? God's eyes are constantly on the land of Israel. And then he says, from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Which is another word for saying Constant, constant. Because Eternal. the end of the year,
0: constant.
2: Eternal. the end, of the beginning of the year to the end of the year, and then you have the next year immediately, the beginning of the year and the end of the year. So it's every if if God's eyes is constantly on it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Every year from the beginning to the end, then of course, okay. So it's constant. So what's the verse telling us from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? You just said it's constant. And you mean from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, next year also from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, so it's constant. So what, what are you adding? What's the verse adding that God's eyes is on the land of Israel constantly from the beginning of the year to the end of the year?
4: As the author Rabbi soon say, the term eyes alludes to the divine attribute of Homa or Kodesh HaElyon, which irradiates the land of Israel constantly from the beginning of the year to its end. In order to explain how we derive from this verse, that the love of Homa that, that translates to the Holy Land is constantly well. renewed and increased, that also the following verse. Now this phrase to the end appears to be problematic, for at the end of one year begins another year. Thus it should surely have said that the eyes of God are upon the land of Israel everlastingly.
2: Firstly, he says tamit, constant. So if you want to spell out, I'll say from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, which immediately becomes the beginning of the next year to the end of the year. Say forever and ever. God's eyes are constantly and forever, eternally in the land everlasting in the land on the eyes of the land of Israel. So what's the verse coming to tell us?
0: However, this matter will be understood by considering the verse God by
2: Chachma, wisdom
0: established the earth.
2: God established the earth with wisdom.
0: That is the foundation of Eretz. Kala Eliona, the higher earth or the higher land, the heavenly model of the terrestrial holy land, which is the mode of creative divine influence, which is imminent and therefore called Memelako Amin, filling all worlds. This refers to the Sephera of Malchut, of the world of Atzilat, called land for it is the last and so to speak lowest of the supernal central, and it best done created worlds and beings so as to
2: vitalism so a lot of Kabbalah and just like in this world because there are many parallel universes just like in this world you have energy fire you have gas wind you have water liquid and then you have earth the lowest you step on the earth, so that's like the foundation. That's the the lowest of all, lowest well, form.
0: The elements. The earth is the lowest. Yeah, sure. You step the on the earth. earth. That we get our food from. Yeah. supports
2: yes, our yes. life is the lowest. Yeah, sure. Water is on top. Water is on top, and then you have, and then you have, and then you have gas, and you have, and you have a fire, and or earth. Air, gas yeah. And yeah. Air. Here, right. Now. Although Earth is the lowest, and you step on the Earth, and it's underneath and beneath everything, but like you say, Earth is the most creative. Earth is what creates, gives uh, gives all fruits, the whole organic life. Everything comes from the Earth. The Earth has the ability.
0: The human being. God created the human being from the Earth that He gathered from different parts of the the world and made the human being.
2: Yes, man was created from the lowest and his body was created from the lowest of the low, even lower than an animal. That's why man could be even lower than an animal. And his soul is even greater than an angel. Man is the ultimate combination of opposite extremes. Earth is the lowest. It's the most earthy, it's the lowest, the least form of life. It's, 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 on the other hand, earth has the ability to create life. It's if you plant a seed on your table and you water it and the sun shines in it, nothing will grow. It's only when you bury the seed in the ground on the earth and the seed rots, and then the earth has this miraculous ability to create, infinitely create. It's inexhaustible. It can create and create and create and create. So yes, it's the source of life and so too in the parallel universe which is parallel to the physical universe, in, in the divine universe, in the divine universe, the world of emanation, atzilut, which is the divine world of emanation, we also have these four different categories. And earth is like the lowest, which is the level of malchut, which is God's creative energy. Just like earth is creative, this is God's creative energy that creates our worlds and creates all the worlds, the worlds of the angels and all conscious beings it all emanates from earth. Earth receives the seed and then it gestates in the earth and then the earth has this creative ability to take the seed and to transform it and to create a tree, uh, fruits, grass, etc. So too, the level of malchut has the ability to receive. It receives from the other nine spheres. Then it takes the seed. By receiving it and absorbing it, then there's this creative outburst. And this becomes the creative energy that creates everything that exists in the lower realms, in the, other, in the parallel universes, in the other universes. The world of creation, the world of formation, ultimately the world of action, our world. So this is what he calls mamalik of alma It fills all the world. Because this level of earth, the divine earth, this is the creative energy, and everything in this world has a unique creative energy that creates every particular item of existence. Every create creature has its own unique energy. Every item, everything in this world has its own characteristic traits. Its own personality, its own quirks, its own characteristic traits, its own flavor, its own color, its own shape, its own form, its own content. Everything is unique. There's nothing, there's no two snowflakes that are alike. Everything in this world is unique. As we learned in the second part of the Tanya, at the beginning, the first chapter, the second part of the Tanya, Lessons in Tanya.com, that Everything in this world, this is the revolution of the Baal Shem, and he highlighted and he pointed out that this is what the Torah is teaching us, that everything in this world has its own unique divine energy, has its own unique creative energy, that Hashem is engaged and involved in every detail of this world. Everything is divine providence. To the tiniest detail, everything that happens in our life is by divine providence. Everything has meaning, everything has purpose, everything is a divine message and everything that we encounter everything that we see everything that we hear everything that happens to us is so filled with meaning and purpose God is speaking to us communicating with us personally individually because everything that happens there's a unique divine energy that's creating it and that's making it happen Hashem is engaged even in the nitty gritty in the tiniest detail there's nothing insignificant in God's world if God is creating it, God is so infinite and transcendent, is so to speak bothering to create this little detail, it must be so significant. <laughs> Nothing is insignificant in God's world. There's no such thing. If a leaf turns, as the Balshamtu says, and how many times it turns, and how how it turns and where it lands, everything to the tiniest detail is so precise, is so imbued and filled with divine purpose and meaning. This is the idea that God fills the world. God has fi- every detail, everything has its own unique divine creative energy. Everything comes directly from Hashem. This is through arts. This is through the earth. The earth is that takes this little seed and then creates it and then creates all the myriad things that come from the earth. So too. It's the earth. It's the divine, eth- eth- uh, divine level of earth, God's word, so to speak, that through the, through the numerous letters and words and combination of letters and different names, God creates and imbues everything that exists from the angels down to the amoeba, and everything is imbued with, with life and with its own unique force that gives it its own unique personality, character, shape, form, color, flavor, etc. So this is what he calls mamalik allowment. This is the the heavenly, the godly level of earth, which is the divine creative energy as it involves itself and engages and encloses itself very specifically in a great detail in every aspect of creation. This is arts. Now, all the universes are parallel universes. So what on earth, in our world, parallels the heavenly earth? There's one spot on earth. Not New York, not London, not Beijing. It's called Israel. Israel is the holy land that in this world reflects and mirrors and parallels the divine land. The divine creative energy. Just like all creativity comes from the earth. The earth takes it and fleshes out the seed and fleshes it out and creates it in great detail and specifics. So too, it's the, the divine level of earth that takes all the divine energies and all the nine spherot that are above it and fleshes it out into all the specific beings. From the angels on high, like we learned in the previous letters. in the letter letter 12, uh, 12 how Michal, Michael is the angel Michal, is the embodiment, the spiritual embodiment of God's chesed, kindness, of water. Gavu, um, Gavriel is the spiritual embodiment of fire, of God's attribute of strength, of, And then we have the physical manifestation, the physical fire and water. But these are all manifestations of the different sfirot, of the different, the right, the left. But it's only when it passes through the arets, the earth, that this creative energy actually is expressed in a being, in a a full-fledged being, whether it's spiritual and the parallel universes, spiritual universes, down to this physical universe. So what's the physical counterpart of this divine creative ability of mamalik allowment to fill all the worlds? This is the Holy Land. And this parallels the Holy, Divine Land above, which is the lowest level of Malchut of the world of emanation.
3: And likewise the foundation of the Nidr, the land, which is the land of Israel, which, which is known as Eretz Hefetz, the land of God's desire, which truly corresponds to its heavenly counterpart, Eretz Ha'leona, and is called by its name Eretz Ha'chayim, the land of life. The foundation, then, of the higher and the lower lands issues from the downward flow and radiation from the supreme kachma, which is the source of supernal light. As it is written, Chachma animates those who possess it.
2: So that's what it means when he says that God founds the earth on Chachma. That Chachma radiates to the earth. Because although Chachma is the highest, the first of the ten spirot, it's the first level of consciousness, the first spark of awareness while Aretz is the earth, it's the lowest. And yet, Chachmah is the foundation for Aretz, for the earth. Because if the earth, if God's level of Mamale God's filling all the worlds, is like God's speech and words and letters where the energy is channeled and the godly creative energy is channeled and concretized in a very specific way, which creates all of the beings and creations and creatures and of all the worlds. But just like when we speak words and letters, as we learned earlier in letter number five at great length, that we're, what's the source of words? What's the source of letters? We see that children, little children, babies, even though they, they, we know they're, they're intelligent, we can see their intelligence, and yet they can speak. So what's the, why not? Their mouth works perfect. Why can't they just move their lips and speak? So obviously speech comes from a much deeper place. Speech comes from Chachma. From subconscious. Since the babies, the little children, and their minds are not developed yet, they can't speak. They have intelligence, but they don't have the ability to speak all the musical instruments in the world cannot produce a single letter. The most uh, gifted musician cannot produce a single letter. It's almost miraculous. It's not just moving your lips and you create words and letters. If it was so simple, just moving your lips, it's not like an instrument. Our mouth, our tongue, our palate, our uh, act as an instrument. And you just have to learn to play the fiddle or or to play the doesn't work you can play all the instruments in the world if you go to the museum the metropolitan museum you can see just a sampling of instruments it's enough to to make it to give give you thousands and thousands of instruments and this is just a little sampling all the years throughout the world throughout history and yet all the instruments in the world can't produce a single letter it's miraculous. Where does the sound come from? Where does words come from? Words don't. It's not just the mouth physically moving and creating sound. No, it's words are rooted in the soul. You go through your whole life and you don't even you're not even aware of how you make a sound and what happens. No one thinks consciously. Okay, let me now make my put my lips together <laughs> and say b, boo. <laughs> You don't think about it. It's unselfconscious. As a matter of fact, most people go through their entire life and they're entirely clueless. <laughs> How do you make sounds? How do some letters, because the, you have to point it out to them. that The tongue hits the, the, the roof of the mouth or the tongue goes against the back of your, uh, 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 goes against your teeth. Who even thinks about it? Who isn't aware of it? Not like violin, you have to learn how to play. It, it's automatically the moment the, the baby is no longer a baby, two, three years old. You start speaking. You have no idea how you speak and what you're saying, and, and yet words and letters come out, and there's words. It's miraculous. All thing is spiritual. Just proves that we're not biological beings, despite all the evolutionary evolutionary philosophies. We're not. We are spiritual beings. It's the spiritual that brings the physical. Your soul wants to speak and your body automatically speaks. It's not like your body decides to speak and that creates speech. It's your soul that creates speech. We are essentially spiritual. It comes from our, it's rooted in our chachma our wisdom and our subconscious. And when you have, when your mind is developed enough to the point that you're ready to speak and you, your soul wants to speak, the body automatically, unself-consciously speaks and does exactly what, all the complex things that it needs to do to get the sounds of letters out. So what's the root of, of of earthiness, which is the lowest level, which is the speech and the physical and the letters? Which is like the sound that comes out of the mouth and the breath and, and moving your lips, it's physical. And yet it's rooted in the highest level, in the chachma, in the wisdom, in the window to the soul, in the subconscious. Only when your chachma is fully developed could you speak. So that's what the verse is saying, that chachma Is the foundation of Eretz. And that's why this is the land that God desires. And this is the land that's called Eretz HaChaim, it's a land of life. Because wisdom is life. Wisdom is the window to the soul, the window to the subconscious. Wisdom is the window to the infinite. Chachma is the knowledge and the sense that there is no other reality but God, the sense of the infinite. And that's what radiates in this land. This is a land where wisdom radiates. The wisdom of the divine Chachma radiates. The wisdom and the knowledge and the perception that there is no other reality but God radiates in this holy land. And that's why the land has the ability to create. That's why words have the ability to create. Words are magical. When you communicate, communication is magical when you communicate and you speak it's it's creative you can th- sit and think for yourself and figure something out for yourself but it's limited but then when you start communicating it and try, start explaining it and start putting it into words suddenly it explodes infinitely infinitely so it opens up new fountains of wisdom as you're communicating and as you're speaking you just, it just opens up a whole new side that you would never have gotten had you sat for a thousand years and thought about it for yourself that's the power of speech because speech is rooted in the Chachma in the highest, in the deepest in the infinite and that's why speech has the power to create it's so dynamic, it's so vibrant so the land is alive because it's the foundation of the land is in Chachma and this level radiates in the parallel land in this world which is the holy land this is a land which radiates god's divine wisdom it's a land that's alive it's pulsating with life that's alive it's a land like no other land it's a land where the holiness is palpable that's why it's the holy land after all god is everywhere what do you mean the holy land god is god is not present on park avenue God is only present in Israel. That's not the meaning of holiness. Of course, God is present everywhere. But holiness is where God is palpable, where God is transparent, where God is felt, where it's pulsating with a divine life. You can sense the divine life. That's only in the Holy Land. In Israel, you can sense the holiness of the land. You can feel the holiness. When the rabbis had to leave the land of Israel for whatever reason, it says some rabbis went to study Torah. They left the land of Israel and then they felt so bad. They felt the difference. While they were in the land of Israel and they left the land of Israel, that they, they cried and they went back. They said, we can't leave the land of Israel. Because of the holiness that you sense in the land of Israel, you don't, you don't get that experience anywhere. <laughs> Nowhere in the world are you going to get that experience. You're not going to sense that level of holiness. It doesn't exist. You can't sense Because it radiates. You can feel it. It's alive. The land is alive. It's not dead earth. The earth is alive. Alive with holiness, with godliness. It radiates. It permeates with holiness and godliness.
1: This radiation and influx from supreme kosma that irradiates the land on both these levels is renewed annually by a truly new light.
2: So every year, it's not just a renewal of the old. But the old is dynamic. It's not static. It's the energy. The old energy is constantly being renewed. It's, it's dynamic. He's saying every year there's a brand new energy. A higher level. A deeper energy. A greater energy than anything that came the year before. It doesn't stand still. It's a dynamic. It doesn't stand still. Every year there's a new level. A deeper level. Life doesn't Stagnate. Life doesn't stand still. Life is dynamic that every year there's something new. A new revelation. A new depth. A new life. A new light. That we never experienced before.
1: Why is this? For Hashem, blessed be He... And his Chachma are one in an absolute unity, which is called the infinite ends of life.
2: So since the level of Chachma is one with Hashem and God is infinite, therefore life life is dynamic. Every year is something brand new. God is infinite, so life doesn't stand still. Every year there's a new revelation. An unprecedented revelation. Because God is infinite. And therefore, there could be infinite amount of new revelations. So whatever we've experienced till now, whatever level of light was revealed till now, the new year brings entirely new, new light that was never there before. Because God is infinite, so therefore there could be infinite revelations. It's an inexhaustible, never-ending source. A fountain of new revelations. And just like God created the world for the very first time, it was brand new, something from nothing, something that didn't exist earlier, so too, every Rosh Hashanah God creates a new world. It's a brand new world. The world that God is creating or recreating a Rosh Hashanah, it's not just a recreation, but God is creating a new, a new world, a new light, a new energy. Physically, it looks like the same world. Physically, it's the same world. But the energy, the life, it's a brand new energy a brand new world brand new light because the light is infinite and God is not limited and God is inexhaustible so God is constantly renewing the world and every Rosh Hashanah it's literally a new level meaning a higher level a level that was never revealed before a new depth a new revelation This is a powerful experience that happens every Rosh Hashanah. So we also get a little insight into what happens and why Rosh Hashanah is so special and meaningful. It's not just a same old, same old repetition. That God is just renewing the world. Renewing His interest in the world. Renewing His pleasure in the world. Renewing his vows. But it's a brand new, it's a whole new experience. It's a whole new revelation. Because God is infinite. And the Chachma, the wisdom, which is the foundation for the world, is also infinite. Because it's one with God. So this new life and this new energy is a brand new life. Brand new energy.
4: Because there is no limit nor end to the quality and greatness of the light and vitality that issues forth from Him and from His <laughs> elevation upon elevation to no end or limit to the peak of the loftiest levels.
2: Likewise, the Rebbe was once speaking about when you when you write a new Sefer Torah. So it's the same idea. We make a celebration, we dance in the streets. It's like giving birth to a baby. It's like something brand new. There's never been a Torah like this. It's like the giving of the Torah for the very first time. because the Torah is God's wisdom. God and His wisdom are one. God is infinite. So this new Torah draws down a new level of light that it's as if this is the first Torah that was ever written. It's a brand new Torah. It's a new light. It's Mount Sinai all over again. The joy, I don't know if you ever experienced the dedication of a Torah. The joy of the dedication of a Torah. It's not like writing another Torah. Okay, this is Torah number uh, <laughs> from, the, from Mount Sinai. We lost track already. Number a million. Uh, no, it's a brand new Torah. It's a brand new revelation. It's a brand new light. It's a brand new experience. Because God is infinite. You're dealing it with God. It's not just, okay, I'm writing the same physics books. Okay, so I have a new copy of the same uh, mathematical books. I wouldn't get excited about it. Okay, so I have another copy. Okay, so what, why, why should I get so excited? It's the same wisdom, the same words, the same letters. No one's going to go dancing in the street when you, when you, when you publish a new, uh, a new... Okay, this is, this is copy number 1,000, 10,000, 50,000, 100,000. Okay. okay, it's a classic. It's a nice book. But still, why, why are you getting all excited? This is the Divine. This is the Infinite. So every time, it's brand new. Because God is Infinite. So therefore, everything is brand new. It's as if for the very first time. And that's how the Rebbe would speak about the Torah. And the Rebbe would speak about the Torah. You get excited about the Torah, or the message for that week that we learned from the Torah portion. It was as if it was a brand new message, as if it was for the very first time, with the excitement and even when the Rebbe repeated something the Rebbe would repeat things sometimes thousands of times and yet every time he said it it wasn't a repeat it was brand new as if he's hearing it for the first time as if he's experiencing it for the first time because when you're dealing with the infinite you're dealing with something godly it's not like it grows old you know? it doesn't. God never grows old <laughs> he's not a thousand years old he's not six thousand years old God is infinite there's no time, there's no space, there's no all there's no... It, every time it's brand new it's fresh, it's current, it's real it's actual, it's here and now it's all encompassing, it's exciting, it's thrilling it's energizing it's right now, this moment because it's the word of Hashem every letter, every word in the Torah it wasn't the Rebbe was repeating the same thing, how many times could he repeat the same thing over and over and over this is the infinite it's infinite. It's, it's every time was a new, a new energy, a new light. I never heard it that way. I never experienced it that way. It never resonated that way. It never hit home that way. Every time was new. Even though the words may have been the same, but the experience was different. The experience was brand new. So that's what he's saying. It's the same same Rosh Hashanah every year, but the experience is different. Because it's infinite.
0: Since the life giving light that issues from Supreme Pachma is infinite, it follows that whatever the intensity of the light drawn down in the previous year, it is still possible that a greater degree of light be drawn down in the new year.
2: You know, this is expressed by the Talmud. The Talmud says, limba anything associated with holiness, you only go up. You don't go down. Because Kodesh is is God's wisdom. God and His wisdom are one. And therefore, God is infinite, so the life force of Chachmah is also constantly ascending. Something deeper, something newer. And this is the sign of holiness. You know, and that's why, by us, Hasidim, it was very clear to us that with each passing generation, of the Rebbe's. each Rebbe was in a sense greater than the previous Rebbe because holiness only increases holiness doesn't decrease holiness is constantly ascending and growing and expanding qualitatively wise and quantitatively wise just like anything that's alive anything that's alive is increasing not diminishing it's a sign of life a tree till the last moment is constantly growing and that's the smallest form of life sign of life is it's dynamic, there's movement, there's growth there's change, it's, it's deepening and increasing and expanding and that's a sign of life the mind becomes more curious and expands and grows deeper and becomes even, searches even more and deeper so it's a it's a self-understood fact or, or truth that goes without saying that even though the, the generations are lessening, are diminishing, our spiritual level is diminishing from one level to the next, we are like the spiritual midgets of all the Jewish generations. In comparison to our illustrious ancestors, with the giants, spiritual giants. We're like the, the, the soles of the feet. In comparison to our ancestors with the heart, the brain, the eyes... And yet, holiness keeps on increasing and intensifying and deepening. The revelation and the light, Hashem's light, just keeps on intensifying and growing. With each passing generation, the Rebbe became holier and holier and holier and deeper and deeper. The level of holiness and the revelation of holiness and godliness became even more intense and even deeper. The exact opposite of the way things appear to be on the surface. The things are getting worse and things are darker and more confounded and more confused and people becoming more clueless and lost and, and, and directionless and untethered and unfocused and uncentered and completely external superficial. But, but what's really going on on the inside and the level of Chachma, the level of light, the level of holiness is only growing deeper, expanding, becoming more powerful And that's why there's such darkness. Because the light is intensifying. The light is becoming so powerful that the darkness is fighting for its life. It, doesn't, it almost doesn't stand the chance. It can't stand up to such holiness and to such goodness and to such depth. So it has to throw everything it has, including the, the kitchen sink, everything, throw at it, <laughs> try to confuse and confound and turn things upside down. And it's floundering because it's not working. <laughs> because it's up against this intense light that only keeps on deepening and increasing and expanding, with each passing year, it just grows stronger and stronger. So, so this is the, what's going on on the inside is the exact opposite of the way things appear to be on the surface. Is it
4: because we are getting closer to Mashiach?
2: Right, because we're getting closer to Mashiach. Um, so on level, one level, you can say, because there's such a darkness, so we need light to counter the darkness. Why did Hashem have to give it? Why did the Rebbe's have to be getting holier and holier and deeper and deeper? Because to, to counter such a darkness that we have to encounter, which they didn't have to encounter 200 years ago in the Shetel. They didn't have all the nonsense that we have today. So we need such a dose of holiness, such an intense dose, that we need this powerful force. But the deeper reason is, like you said, we're getting closer to Mashiach. so We're getting closer to the revelation. So, so therefore the light is intensifying. The light is becoming deeper and more powerful. And that's why the nonsense is also becoming more powerful. Because it's, it's, it, it's fighting for its very existence, its life. It's this wrestling match. As we learned in the first part of Tanya, chapter 28. As the holiness grows stronger, the, opposite, oh, the opposition also grows stronger. So this, this happens. Every Rosh Hashanah, it's not just the God is recreating the world. It's with a renewed energy, renewed enthusiasm, a new revelation that never existed before. It's on a whole new level. stakes are much greater. It's taking it to a whole new dimension. We've graduated to a whole new level.
0: And every year, there descends and radiates a new and renewed light which has never yet shown from the Supreme hakma to the aretz. ha The light that reaches down to this level is here described as new and renewed, for in the first instance a new light radiates into hakma from the sa that transcends it, and then a new light issues from hakma and irradiates the aretz ha
2: so first, the infinite light illuminates Chachma. There's a new illumination, a new radiation from the infinite into the level of Chachma. From Chachma, then, this uh, new energy and this new life illuminates and radiates into the earth, into the, heaven, into the divine level of earth, which then radiates the physical earth, which corresponds and parallels to that, which is the holy, holy land. Holy Land of Israel. So, this is, what he's saying here is something very powerful and very, very new, you know, because conventionally we understood Rosh Hashanah, God is recreating the world, you know, but it's recreating the same world, looks the same, does, (laughs) and he's saying, no, it's not so, it's not just recreating the world creating a brand new world it's a brand new light it's a new light a light that never you never had before it's Rosh Hashanah it's the beginning it's a recreation of the creation of the world when God created the world it was a beginning it was new something from nothing so to every Rosh Hashanah in a sense there's also that element of something totally new that never existed before. A new level of light that we never had before. A depth, a new depth. Not just life is standing still and we're just continuing. It's brand new. It's a new energy. That's why the excitement and the thrill because it's a whole new experience. Something we never had before. And this is what you experience every Rosh Hashanah. So, just like there is an an earth, there is Aretz, which he calls Aretz, which is the source of all of creation. Earth, heavenly earth. And parallel to that, there's also a divine, there's an earth, physical earth, which is the Holy Land of Israel, which parallels the heavenly earth. So too in time, there's also a time which is like the level of earth, which is the source of the rest of the year. What day is that? Rosh Hashanah. That's what Rosh Hashanah is, a holy day. Rosh Hashanah is the head of the whole year. And that's when God renews creation. And everything that's going to happen that year, all happens, is decided, and happens during those 48 hours. This is the source. This is a holy day. And it's especially associated with the Holy Land. So this renewed energy, this brand new energy that radiates the earth, and happens every Rosh Hashanah. So, this energy especially penetrates and radiates and is found through the land of Israel, in the land of Israel. So, that, that's, what, that's, what he's going, that's what he's leading towards to explain what's unique about the Holy Land. But first, he begins with explaining what happens in Rosh Hashanah. What, what the verse means when the verse says that the, uh, God, the eyes of God are constantly on the Holy Land from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. And the question he asked is, why does he say from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? He should have said forever and ever, everlasting. Why only from the beginning of the year to the end of the year? And that's what he's explaining now, because every year it's a brand new energy. And this energy that's drawn down in this Rosh Hashanah, this renewed energy that comes from the infinite, this brand new energy, only lasts for one year. Because the next Rosh Hashanah will be a whole new energy. So it's not forever and ever. This is an energy that will only last from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. What happens with this energy, this new energy at the end of the year? That's what he's going to explain now. What happens is, at the end of the year, this energy departs. Because, what's the end of the year? The Rosh Hashanah is the only holiday that falls out on Rosh Chodesh. All the other holidays fall out, like Sukkot, Pesach, in the middle of the month, 15th, Yom Kippur, in the 10th. Shavuot is either the 6th, today, or the 7th or the fifth the only holiday that falls on Rosh Hashan Rosh Chodesh is Rosh Hashanah. it's associated with the moon what happens is what happens on Rosh Chodesh Rosh Chodesh is the renewal of the moon a dot, a point you see the moon, it's like the rebirth of the moon 24 hours before the rebirth of the moon the moon completely disappears you don't see the moon you can't see the moon, completely hidden that's the day before Rosh Hashanah. The day before Rosh Hashanah, the moon is completely hit. Because the truth is, in a smaller scale, what happens on Rosh Hashanah, the renewal of the world and the renewal of creation and the renewal of the new year, on a miniature level, happens every month. Because what happens physically is just a symptom of what happens spiritually. Is the birth of the moon, and then the moon reaches in the 15th, it reaches its full maturity, its full height, its zenith, and then it starts uh, starts descending, and then it completely disappears. And then there's a new rebirth. That's a reflection of what's happening spiritually. That the, the divine energy in Rosh Hashanah, there's a birth, a creative birth, a new divine energy, which lasts for the month. What happens at the end of the month? The energy... Disappears. The energy withdraws and goes back to its source. And then it has to be renewed. So the day before Rosh Hashanah, which is when the moon is completely hidden and concealed, it's not just the energy of that month that's hidden and concealed, but now the energy of the year returns to its source. And the closest analogy that we have to it is when a person goes to sleep. When you go to sleep, some people go sleep with their eyes open. When you go to sleep (laughs) when you're sleeping, the soul withdraws from the body. It goes to heaven, it goes to its source to renew itself, to be re energized. But it leaves the body behind. The body is dead, it's asleep. It's unselfconscious. You have eyes you can't see. You have ears you don't hear. You, you, you're not functioning. You're like half dead. Sixtieth of death. You're, you're asleep. You're horizontal. We become like the animal. We become horizontal. <laughs> the head and the legs are on the same level. Usually we, we're distinguish, what distinguishes us from animals is we're not horizontal. The head is here. The heart is here. But when we're asleep. We're like half dead. We're like, we're like the animal. Like a sixtieth of death. One, one. We're not conscious. The soul goes up, and the body is left behind. It's not like the 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 elevation of Shabbos. Shabbos, the world is elevated, as we discussed in our. You can find it on lessons in Tanya.com, Shabbat, a day of rejuvenation. Um, that in Shabbat, the world is elevated. Not just the energy of the world, but even the world itself is carried up together with this elevation. Is also elevated. The world becomes refined. On Shabbat you sit down to a meal. If you ate such a meal during the week, you would be called a glutton. On Shabbat it's a mitzvah <laughs> to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and abundance. Eat beautiful. Because Shabbat, the world itself becomes elevated. It's a different world. Physically, the world is elevated. It's a different world. It's a refined world. It's a godly world. It's a different world. Because the vessel becomes elevated together with the energy. That's one level of elevation that happens on Shabbat. But with the moon, with Rosh Chodesh, and with Erev Rosh Hashanah, at the end of the year, it's like a person going to sleep. The energy, the divine energy that came down on Rosh Hashanah returns to its source, is elevated. And the world is left behind. It's like when you sleep, the soul is elevated and goes to heaven. The body is left slumbering, horizontal, a 60th of death. Completely left behind. Doesn't participate in this elevation. This is what happens to the world before Rosh Hashanah. The day before Rosh Hashanah, the world is like asleep. The divine energy, this new, the dynamic, vibrant, renewed energy that God, not renewed, new energy that God brought into this world in Rosh Hashanah. This new level of existence, this is, this is going. Going, going, gone. By the time Rosh Hashanah's night comes in, it's gone. The energy, is, the moon is hidden, concealed. It went back to its source. And the world is left asleep. It has no energy. It's like lifeless. A little soulless. And as he says, when does it return? It returns and therefore it's not enough. Torah mitzvah is not enough to return this energy. We have to do one thing. One special thing. We have to blow the shofar. We blow the shofar. This is what wakens. This is what returns the energy. And not just return the energy but return it with a vengeance, a new energy a totally new, dynamic vibrant energy that we never experienced before, ever before. This is what happens, this is the dynamic, the inner dynamic that happens every Rosh Hashanah. We don't feel it. Tzaddikim, holy people feel it. We know all the Bavitcher with Daven, night of Rosh Hashanah with Daven for hours crying, the Rebbe's father also, crying because it's a very, it's a very touchy moment. It's like the, the world is asleep. The energy is gone. And we, you feel, they felt it. They felt this, this void. This, this emptiness, this lack. And we desperately have to get that energy. We need that life. It's like you're lifeless, you need that energy, you need that life. And then when they blew shofar, that's when this new energy, not just renewed energy, this new energy, this new vitality came flooding into this world. To to them, Rosh Hashanah was an experience, it was a living, breathing experience, not just nice rituals, nice customs, dip the apple in the honey and... (laughs) It's sweet, it's nice, it's good, it's fun. It's something very real is happening in Rosh Hashanah. That affects the whole universe, affects our very being and existence and creation. and, And the Jew is in touch with it. Everyone goes about their life in Rosh Hashanah as if nothing happened. They don't sense it, they're not in touch, they're not in tune. But a Jew who's in touch and in tune and connected It's so plugged in, just lives it. And that's why we express it by celebrating Rosh Hashanah and by blowing the shofar and by crying and by pouring our hearts out and by... Because something very real happens on Rosh Hashanah. Something very special. Every Rosh Hashanah. A Rosh Hashanah like this has never been, ever before. Did you ever
0: have that experience? Of like of your soul leaving your body or did you ever think that another soul could come in?
2: Well, I mean every night we go to sleep we our soul in a sense leaves the body. And we thank Hashem in the morning. We thank mm-hmm. Hashem that that uh, we thank you you didn't make me uh uh Gentile, thank you you didn't make me a servant. And what we really mean what does that mean? Thank you. I mean, obviously, I was born Jewish. I mean, what's, what it means is, on a deeper level, because that the soul that came back to me was my Jewish soul, not, God forbid, I could have, in the middle of the night, I could have had a foreign soul connect itself to me, uh, which doesn't belong. And, you know, um, so it's, there's a possibility, spiritually speaking that we could have a foreign soul attach itself to us and we don't feel ourselves, like where is this coming from? It's not me. And if that's true in the negative sense, how much more so in the positive sense. The concept of attachment of a soul, we learned in the first part of Tanya, chap- the end of chapter 14, um, that a person sometimes merits, you have a soul, a visitation soul visitation. You have a soul that attaches itself to you. And you sense a presence. It's not you. This is not me. This is something greater than me. I I don't have it in me. But because you merit it, because you may have done a special mitzvah, you may have done something special, you can merit this visitation of a very lofty, a very holy soul that's way above your pay grade, way above your level, and you just feel a a connection, a level of holiness, a level that, that you can't even describe. You just feel it. And you know it's not me, but 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 yet you it's a visitation. You feel it consciously, so it's like a visitation of something you have a nice guest <laughs> visiting you <laughs> and living with you. Sometimes it could be for a minute, sometimes it could be for a day, sometimes it could be for a month, it could be for a year, it could be for the rest of your life, but you feel it's a visitation, you have a special guest, guest appearance. The whole
3: experience of being a Valshuga like does that kinda like Kind of like resonates with the whole idea that you know one day you're you've been living a secular life most of your life and suddenly you get this spark and you're being held by the hand and you have like almost like no control of what's happening and you are being like taken in this direction and it's like it's not saying no you're just basically going along for the ride.
2: (laughs) You feel like this this higher presence. Well, you know there were many Jews who merited to have a revelation in their life like the revelation of Elijah the prophet who appeared to them and taught them Torah um, but the highest level of revelation that you can receive is actually you don't have to go far it's the revelation of our own soul (laughs) because our own soul especially the core and essence of our soul the Pintle Yid the level of Yechida, the most intimate godly part within us, the peace of God that we all have located at the very center of our being, we don't access it. We're not in touch with it. When we merit to access it and to tap into it, that's the ultimate revelation. That's much greater than the revelation of even Elijah the prophet. When you feel the essence of your soul has revealed itself, the peace of godliness within you has revealed itself to you and is leading you by the hand and is now the guiding light and is now taking charge and this now. That's the greatest revelation. That's the revelation that a Jew experiences, as we learned in chapter 18 in the first part of Tanya, when when push comes to shove, when you're ready to smarter yourself, when you're ready to sacrifice yourself. As he describes it in chapter 19, that even a Jew really felt nothing about his Yiddishkeit and wasn't living a particularly Jewish life or godly life, I wasn't thinking of godliness and holiness. And yet in that moment of truth, it's 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 like it has a life of its own. It just takes over. And without even unhesitatingly, without even blinking an eye, you're ready to sacrifice your life. You're ready to make this heroic sacrifice. Where's this coming from? You're a simple person. And maybe in your life you were a little of a criminal also. <laughs> and yet a thief, a gun of a low life and all of a sudden here you're ready to martyr yourself and you're ready to sacrifice the greatest sacrifice the most heroic sacrifice and without even thinking, without even blinking an eye it's as if it takes over as if your godly soul takes over and all your addictions suddenly go by the wayside. You you are, you are addicted to materialism and, and nothing could get you away from it. And all of a sudden, in one moment, you're acting like the saint is a holy person ready to give up his life for God. What do you mean? God meant nothing to you yesterday, two days ago, three days ago. All of a sudden, you're ready to martyr. You where is this coming from? It has a life of its own, like takes over. And, because that's really you, but we don't access it. It's very deep down. When you have the revelation of the... Ability of self-sacrifice, the pintali year This is the revelation of your core. In essence, that's what every belchuve experiences. That you feel, you feel the depth of your soul suddenly emerging in your conscious level, and it it, it takes over. Thank God. Well, it's kind of overwhelming. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, and the challenge is to integrate it. The okay. challenge is ultimately to integrate it into your life, because it could be overwhelming and it could remain like a a visitation (laughs) you know, in a moment of truth I'm acting so nobly and so genuinely and so deeply but the rest of my life if it remains banal and coarse and crass then, then it's not, the challenge is to integrate it, you have to take this deep depth and level of intensity and level of connection and integrate it into your life imagine like a soldier a hero, a hero, a soldier lived a life on a level that most of us will never experience ever. You know, he had to face a challenge at extraordinary, extrahuman strength challenges that we never have to face. Thank God. Yeah. But one moment in his life, he acted heroically. He acted in a way that's superhuman. He did something that most people would never do. People who face life and death situations and the war and so on, I mean, they, they live life on a level we, we, we can't even imagine. But then they come back to regular life. So the challenge is, and not everyone, not everyone negotiates this successfully, the challenge is once you live life so deeply and so intensely, how do I then integrate it into my ordinary, boring, daily life? That it should become better. How do I fuse it? That my life should become richer and deeper, and because of that experience, I have to take that deep depth. And instead of feeling that it's overwhelming me and it's other, you know, it's otherworldly, and it's, we incorporated it and internalized it slowly but surely into my life. And the best way to do it is by studying Tanya, studying Hasidut which helps us internalize all these very powerful. Realities and truths that resonate that we feel and sometimes experience deep down and to help us incorporate into our daily life, our conscious life to sow it, make it a a joyful, vibrant part of our lives and to remain grounded because that's the test if we don't remain grounded then then, then what's the point we're just angels, God has plenty of angels he doesn't need more angels Mm -hmm. It needs mention, it needs real people down to earth, grounded. We're not flying off from some some flying off the coop and being able to incorporate all that goodness and holiness in a very real in a real way. That's that's the challenge. And that takes time.
0: There's no shortcuts. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.